on in a different direction than expected, and we're gonna, so we're gonna make a radical change of gears. And uh, I was just called on to go ahead and preach, which I can do that. So um, I want to ask you the question about holiness. How much does personal holiness matter? Does it matter if we're really holy people or if we're just forgiven people? Does it matter? That is at the heart of a question in today's story behind a story. Now, I, I want us to look at a story to start off with today that goes to a, a, a time that Jesus, at the very end in Revelation, kind of fills in some missing pieces of a puzzle. And we're going to talk today about something that Jesus said that informs another story that's pretty important, the story of Balaam and the donkey. It's a crazy story. I know some of you have heard this story. And, um, and also a humorous story. Now, before we jump into the story, I want us to think about why Jesus is talking to John in the book of Revelation. It's a book we're going to talk about more later this year, but the story that I want to look at today is a church called Pergamum. And Pergamum was a church that well, there were a lot of good things that happened there, but it was in a city, Pergamum was a city that was very much, um, well, they would probably say that they were a city that was affirming of every kind of religion. They were good with anything you wanted to believe was okay. That would be Pergamum. There were many, many idols there. It was a place of all kinds of idol worship, and it was a very powerful and influential place. In fact, Many of the Caesars of Rome resided in Pergamum. So it was a powerful city. It was a place of great power and strength. Now, when John writes the letter of Revelation at the instruction of the Lord, John is talking to seven different churches, but Pergamum is one of the churches that he's talking to. And Jesus is the one that's doing the talking to the seven churches. And so we're going to start by looking at this thing that he had to say about the church in Pergamum. Here's what it says. It says, to the church in Pergamum, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write these words. These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. This is the image of Jesus as, as a judge. Now, the key question today on the story behind the story is how important is holiness? That's the key question. And we see right away a picture of Jesus with a sword. This is not the picture we're used to, right? We like happy Jesus with little kids sitting on his knee. Or we like happy Jesus handing out bread and fish or watching people being handed bread and fish. But, but Jesus with a sword, that's a different kind of an image. But that's the image that he has when he talks to church at Pergamum. He's saying, listen, there's a power, a force greater than the Caesars that you need to acknowledge. And as he writes this, as he's talking to John, he says, I know where you live, Pergamum. Now that's a statement. It's a statement the Lord makes about us. And, and, and I want you to get this, that Jesus knows where we are. He knows our circumstance. That's good news for us, right? He, he knows what's going on and he understands it. And that means that sometimes he's sympathetic and sometimes he's frustrated. And such was the case with Pergamum. He says to the people who live there, he says, I know where you live. 
where Satan has his throne. Remember I said this was a place where lots of the Caesars lived? Lots of the power resided there in this place? He says it's in this place that the devil himself has set up his throne. Well, that's quite a statement about your town. That's what Jesus says about Pergamum. It's the place where Satan lives. And then he goes on and he says this to the people of Pergamum. Yet, you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Now, Jesus says there's, there's been a time of great persecution, and the people of Pergamum, some of them, were asked to renounce their faith in Jesus. Antipas was killed. He was a martyr. He, he refused to deny Jesus and instead accepted death. It was quite a statement about who Antipas was and what he had done. And Jesus remembers the faithfulness of people who are willing to die for their faith. Wow. He knows where we live. He knows who we are. He knows what's going on. But there's more to this story. And it says, nevertheless, like when Jesus talks to the churches, he kind of tells them something that's good, and he tells them something they need to work on. And for this church, what they need to work on is really radical. (laughs) He says, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Now, I'm not sure what you know about Balaam. I'm sure you remember something about he was an Old Testament prophet and there's a donkey involved. That's probably what you remember, some talking donkey. And that's certainly true to the story. And we'll look at that story in just a moment about Balaam and the story behind the story. But Jesus does something incredible. If you read, if you look up Balaam, just the name, and you look across the Old Testament, guess what you'll find? You'll find he gave these prophecies You won't find anything bad directly written that he did, except when people talk about him, they'll say, well, Balaam loved money. Or they'll hint at that Balaam led Israel into perversion. But but there's no no evidence of that that you read in the story. It's It's a chapter that we don't get to see or understand fully until Jesus talks about it in Revelation. But Jesus gives us this insight into exactly who Balaam was and exactly what he did. So you kind of get the end of the story of Balaam before we ever even get to the beginning today. This is what Jesus says. He says, I had this against you. There are some of you who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak, who was a king, to entice the Israelites to sin. So they ate food sacrificed to idols. They committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Wow, there it is. This is the the bonus story behind the story, and it's not a very pretty one. There was a man in the church of Ephesus named Nicholas. And Nicholas, well, he got this crazy idea in his mind. (laughs) Without getting too graphic, let's just say he thought that Christians should share everything, and he decided he would even share his wife, if you know what I'm saying. Wasn't a very good idea, wasn't the right thing to do. In a pluralistic society, though, they didn't frown on that. You know, to each their own was the idea. 
And that was bad enough. That was a sexual sin, and that was bad enough. But he went further than that. And this is the real damage that he did. Some of the people in the church said, well, is it okay for us to be doing this? And Nicholas said, you know what? God is so gracious that he will forgive our sins. So we can really do anything we want, and he's just going to forgive us for it. Now, that's a pretty egregious thing. In fact, it's one of the things that Jesus actually says, I hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. He didn't say he hated those people, but he says, I hate what they're doing. I hate what their practices are. So it infuriated Jesus that they would do these things. What Nicholas did is, the, the, the sexual immorality piece is not good, but the part about a misteaching about holiness was devastating. The Nicolaitan controversy would continue, well, it even continues today. We still have lots of people who say, I can do anything I want, and as long as I said the right word and got wet in the baptistry, I'm covered. But that's really not what Jesus teaches. He calls us to holiness. Not to just get baptized and pronounce our faith and then never care about our language or not change what we watch. He wants us to become like Jesus, to become holy. God wants to see holiness growing in us. He doesn't want us to use our, his grace as an excuse for sin. Now, I know that grace is important because we all sin in many ways. And we all need God's grace. But there's a key component that comes into this equation about what is the state of our heart. Are we repentant for our sins or are we dismissive of them? Yeah, who cares? God doesn't care. No, he does care. In this story, Jesus is the one holding a sword, he says. All right, now that's the story of Nicholas. Let's go to that other story. And let's see how it shines light on our question, does holiness matter to God? Balaam is this prophet in the Old Testament who had some renown. We're going to go back in time to the time of Moses, when Moses is leading the children of Israel. Now, they've already had all kinds of problems you know about. They saw the land, and they were afraid to go, and so they wanted to go back to Egypt. And so God said, this whole generation is going to die off. A new generation is going to rise up. They're going to inherit it. The, the, the previous generation is not going to inherit the land except for Joshua and Caleb. Lots of things have happened. Forty years have spun off. And we're almost ready to go into the promised land. In fact, they've made it all the way to the Jordan River. The promised land is on the other side. And they can see from where they are the hills of Jericho. Maybe even the city itself if the leaves are off the trees. They're that close they're almost there. Now, as they've been marching along, Moses had asked a couple of kings who lived in that land, look, we're not going to harm you. Don't harm us. We just want to walk through all million plus of us, walk down this road through your, your country. Trust us. We're not going to hurt you. We just want to go through your country. The kings didn't trust that, and we might not trust that either if, you know, a bunch of Canadians said, you know, a million and a half Canadians said we're going to march to, to, to Mexico. We might have doubts too. I don't know what we'd think it was about. I mean, a beer run. I don't know what we would think that was. I don't know what we'd say about that. 
But, but nonetheless, sorry to disparage you if you're from Canada. I didn't, that was kind of a cheap shot. Anyway, the kings didn't like it. And so the kings go to war, Sihon and Og go to war against Moses and the Israelites. And God kind of says, well, okay, if that's how it's going to be, we'll just take this land too. And so they just, they win. That's all I can tell you. They just destroy Sihon and Og and they actually take over all their land. It becomes part of the promised land. It wasn't necessarily scheduled to be that way, but when the kings acted that way, God gave it to the Israelites and to Moses. Now, this is the first time that they really have flexed any military might. And when they did this, when this happens, the other kings around them got really scared of the Israelites and Moses. So they were really afraid of what was going to happen next. So one of those kings is King Balak. And Balak uh, is a king in the land of Moab. And Balak says, we've got to do something about this. This army is too tough for us to fight we got to find somebody who can take them out. Now, Balak actually believes that there are spiritual forces that can be more powerful than physical forces. We'd probably agree with that. So he says, we've got to find a holy man who will curse the Israelites. Someone who can bring down a curse on them so that they'll, they'll have a problem. And when he decides to do that, he goes after somebody 400 miles away who is a famous man for making curses and for giving blessings, a man named Balaam. Now, Balaam, while he talks to God, he's not necessarily a good guy. And he seems to have the, 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 the ability to, to make some prophecies and do some things that come true. He actually does talk to God sometimes, and God does talk to him but, but it's, a, it's a weird thing. He's not an Israelite. He's not one of the children of Abraham. He's just this person, Balaam, a prophet. And he could have been a hero in our story. In fact, I think that God was content to let him be a hero in the story. But something else gets a hold of Balaam. And so as Balaam is summoned by this king, Balak, we pick up the story in Numbers 22. Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites and the Moab. He was terrorized, or he was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, This horde's going to lick us up and lick up everything around it, like an ox licks up the grass of the field. So he sent messengers to summon Balaam, the son of Beor, who was at Pethor near the Euphrates River, his native land. And he said this to them. A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land. They have settled next to me. Now come, put a curse on these people because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know... Whoever you bless is blessed. Whoever you curse is cursed. Now the elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. They don't expect him to just curse the Israelites for nothing. They take along some money and say, hey, okay, we're going to give you some money. Come, come do this thing for us. 
So they go to Balaam and they say this to him. Uh, this is what God, what, what our king wants you to do. When he hears that, verse 8, Balaam says to them, stay here, spend the night here. I'll report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with them. Now, incredibly, that night God comes to Balaam. And he says to Balaam, Balaam, who are these men with you? And Balaam says to God, well, Balak, the son of Zephor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people's come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. Now come, put a curse on them. Perhaps I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God says to Balaam, do not go with them. Don't do it. Don't go along with these guys. It's going to be disastrous. Don't do this thing. In fact, he says, you must not put a curse on those people because they're blessed. The next morning, Balaam gets it right. Even though they're offering him money, he goes out to them and he says, you know what? Go back to your own country. The Lord has refused to let me go with you. So they returned to Balak. They said, Balak refused to come with us. Now, so far, Balaam got it right. Even though he wasn't a child of Abraham, he listened to God. Always the right thing to do, listening to God. But Balak thinks that this is kind of just a game. Like, this is his way of getting more money. So he's going to send more prestigious people, right? Like, he's going to send Taylor Swift. No, he didn't do that. But I have to bring this up. This is an aside. This is the ADD moment commercial. Yesterday, I'm at this gymnastics event with my granddaughter, right? Uh, think, think 100 girls, second grade through fourth grade. Everyone's, you know, doing all this stuff. Sorry, if you're a second or fourth grade girl, you're great. God loves you. It's all good. But anyway, they're all doing this, you know, it's kind of crazy. Let's just say that. I had all boys. This is a new world for me, right? So they're all doing their thing, and they're all seated there, and the lady that's in charge says, all right, girls, she says, aren't you glad that the competition was on Saturday so that tomorrow you can watch the Super Bowl? Not go to church, but you can go to the Super Bowl. And the girl's like, whoa, it's the greatest, yeah, we, you know, and it's all excited. And so she says, and who's going to win the Super Bowl? And the, all these girls said, Taylor Swift. She's not even playing in the Super Bowl. Anyway, I digress. They want somebody to come to them that is uh, with more money. That's what Balaam thinks. He thinks that he just wants more money. So he sends more money and more, more numerous people, more important people, and they come back to Balaam. Now, this is the thing. Did God tell Balaam to go or not to go? He'd already told him, stay. They say, curse or don't curse. He says, don't curse these people. Nothing should change that. God already spoke what the truth was. It didn't matter what everyone else thought. It didn't matter how much money was involved. None of that should have changed the fact that God said no. And when God says something, he means what he says. But when they come with these other people, Balaam has this uh, idea that maybe, maybe there's some wiggle room. Maybe God's got some wiggle room on this, because there's some important people here with a lot of money. So maybe I can go do something against these Israelites. So they come back, and Balak this time says, don't let anything keep you from coming to me, because I'm going to reward you handsomely. Balaam, 
if you come, you're going to get paid. And not only that, I'm going to do whatever you say. Like, I'm a powerful king, but, but whatever you tell me to do, that's exactly what I'm going to do. You'll have power, influence, and money. Come, put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I couldn't do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Sounds good. Now spend the night here so I can, and here's where things start to go astray. So I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. He's looking for that wiggle room. Maybe there's a way out of this. Now that night, God came to Balaam. He said, Balaam, well, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Ah, Balaam is excited. He thinks, all right. Now you need to understand that God's plan when this happens is like, okay, you didn't listen to me the first time I said no, Balak and Balaam. So I've got this plan, and I'm going to use you as an instrument for my glory. So I'm going to let you go on this venture. So far, the relationship with Balaam and God is not, it's not in the pitch yet. It's, 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 I mean, it's unique, let's call it that. But when God says this to Balaam, it's very clear, even though the text doesn't show us this, something begins to change in Balaam's heart. He starts to think, I think, a lot more about this payday that's coming and a lot less about what God wants him to say. I say that because of what happens next. Verse 21, Balaam gets up early in the morning, he saddles his donkey, and he goes off with the Midianite Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went. Didn't God say he could go? He did. But God doesn't just look at the outward. He looks at his heart and he sees, I think, a bad thing's happening in Balaam's heart. Like Balaam is, he's, he's, well, actually, I think what he sees is Balaam thinks he can manipulate God. I'll get God on a technicality and he'll have to do what I want. And it upsets God. It really upsets God. He looks into his heart and he sees what's happening and so so he does something incredible in the story. God was angry. The angel of the Lord that stood in the road to oppose him. There's an angel. Balaam's riding on his donkey. His two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. There's that sword imagery again. An angel with a sword, just like Jesus was the one with a sword who could give judgments about what was right and what was wrong. The story behind the, st the story. Now, sorry, those of you who are animal lovers, but when, he, when this happens, Balaam gets off of the donkey and he beats it. He beats it until it gets back on the road. So the angel of the Lord moves a little farther ahead. This time he stands in a narrow path. There's no field to run off into through a bunch of vineyards and vines with walls on both sides. This time, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. 
So he beat the donkey again. The poor donkey is really taking his licks. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead, and this time stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. I want to get you, uh, your thoughts here. I want you to think on this. Listen, when God tells us things, he really doesn't want us to see how much we can get away with and still stay inside of his rules. He doesn't want us to depart to the left, to the left or the right. You're left, you're right. He wants us to stay right where he wants us to be. He wants us to do what he asks us to do. And the idea here is this image is Balaam is headed towards destruction and towards disaster. And, and he's going to have to walk a very fine line to stay inside God's will. Or it's going to end in disaster for him. And believe it or not, in all this story, I think that God wants something good for Balaam. But he knows where this is headed. And if Balaam isn't careful, it's going to end in a horrible way for him. Not for God, but for him. He's frustrated. He's angry. And he's using this donkey and this thing to teach Balaam a lesson. Well, when this donkey sees this angel in this space, and there's no way to get around it, this angel is going to take off Balaam's head. The donkey sees it. When he sees it, the donkey just stops. Okay, I can't get around you. I can't get past you. It just lays down on the ground in the middle of the road. And when, the, when this happens, Balaam was so angry, he gets up and he begins to beat the donkey with his staff. The Lord then opens the donkey's mouth. And the donkey says to Balaam, what have I done to make you beat me these three times? And here's the really incredible part of the story. The donkey, or Balaam, answers the donkey immediately, right? Like, I don't know how many times donkeys talk to you. Don't make any analogies about the preacher today. But whatever you think it is, all right, he talks back to the donkey. So the donkey says, he, he, he tells him, why did you beat me? And it made, like, like, nothing's happened at all. Balaam says, well, you made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. Now, Jesus is talking in that letter to Pergamum about some people who have a completely wrong idea about God's grace, God's mercy, and what God wants. Just like Balaam has a completely wrong idea about what the donkey has been doing. And the irony is the donkey is so much smarter than Balaam is. The donkey's trying to save his life, and Balaam thinks it's trying to destroy him, make life harder for him. In fact, he's so mad at the donkey who's trying to save his life, he's willing to kill it. The donkey says to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you've always ridden to this very day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, Balaam says. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. This is a thing I wish for all of us, that God will open our eyes to see things the way God sees them. 
to see things as they really are. Listen, God doesn't put rules in our lives to harm us, to keep us from fun things. He does it to protect us and to protect others. He does it to provide for us because he's a loving God. He opens Balaam's eyes. Then Balaam saw the Lord standing in the road. So he fell face down. The angel asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come to oppose you because your path is a reckless one. The donkey saw me, turned away from me these three times. And I tell you, Balaam, if it had not turned away, I certainly would have killed you by now. But I would have spared the donkey. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I've sinned. Maybe he's repenting for being cruel to the animal, or maybe he sees the recklessness of his path. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you're displeased, I will go back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, No, you can go. But listen, speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. Now when Balak hears that Balaam is coming, he goes out to meet him at the town of Arnon on the border. Balak said to Balaam, did I not send you an urgent summons? Why did you come to me? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? Did I not offer you enough money? Well, I've come now, Balaam said, but I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. Again, sounds good. Like he learned his lesson. He's going to obey God. So Balaam goes with Balak up to this mountain. They go to a mountain because the, they think the closer they are to heaven, the more likely they are that God hears the curse or the blessing you're proclaiming, the more likely it'll come true. He goes there where he can see Israel. The idea was if you could see them, somehow the curse would be more powerful. So they go there. Balak sacrifices cattle and sheep to his God. He gives some to Balaam, the officials who were with them. The next morning, they take him up onto this mountain where they could see the outskirts of the, of, the, of the Israelite camp. Chapter 23. Balaam said, build me seven altars here. Prepare seven bulls and rams. And Balak did as he said. They were doing all the things that you would think God would want them to do at that time. He did all the things they were supposed to. Then Balaam said to Balak, stay here. Beside your offering, I'll go aside. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet with me. Whatever he reveals to me, I'll tell you. Then he went off to a barren height. Chapter 23, verse 4, God met with him. And Balaam said, I've prepared these altars. On each altar I've offered a bull and a ram. He's trying to say to God, look here, trying to get your favor, trying to do what you want. I did some good things, God, did you see? The Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. You see how this is the exact same thing he did to the donkey by putting a word in its mouth. Go back to Balaam, give him this word. So he went back and he found him standing beside his offering with all the Moabite officials. But this is what he said. Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Denounce Israel. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? From the rocky peaks, I see them. From the heights, I view them. I see a people who live apart. They don't consider themselves one of the nations. 
Who can count the dust of Jacob or number even a fourth of Israel? Oh, let me die the death of the righteous, and may my final end be like theirs. And Balak says to Balaam, what kind of a curse was that? (laughs) What have you done to me? I brought you here to curse my enemies, but you've done nothing but bless them. He said, well, I must, must I not speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Now, Balak, he's pretty shrewd. He thinks this is a game. He thinks that Balaam just wants more money. So he's just kind of upping the ante a little bit here for the great big crusher at the end. So he's like, okay, let's go to another mountain. Let's try this again. And so they go a second time. And I won't read the whole story to you, but, but I do want to jump ahead to what happens after he consults God. God speaks to Balaam. And this is the second thing. He's, he's going there to curse them, but the second time he says this. He says, hear me, son of Zippor. God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I've received the command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. No misfortune is seen in Jacob. No misery observed. The Lord their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of an ox. There's no divination against Jacob. No evil omen against Israel. It will now be said of Jacob and of Israel, see what God has done. These people will rise like a lioness. They rouse themselves like a lion. A lion that does not rest till it devours its prey and drinks the blood of its victims. This is not what Balak wanted to hear. This is not the kind of curse he wants to hear. This is a really a, a powerful blessing. And Balak shouts at him, don't curse or, or don't bless. Don't say anything. Just be quiet. And Balaam says, well, didn't I have to do what the Lord told me to do and say what the Lord told me to say? So there we are. Up till now, Balaam's still a hero. He's still saying what God wants him to say, and you see why God allowed him to go on this quest so that he could bless Israel. Balak thinks there's no way this would guy, guy would come and not give a curse. So a third time. And the third time that it goes forth, chapter 24, we see the, 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 this, this last thing that happens. God actually takes control of Balaam. He actually speaks the last time through Balaam's mouth. It's almost as if God takes control of his mind and his tongue. And in chapter 24, we hear these words from the Lord. The prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate, whose eyes are open. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob, your dwelling place, Israel. Like valleys they spread out, like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the water. Water will flow from their buckets. Their seed will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than Agag. Their kingdom will be exalted. He goes on, may those who bless you be blessed, those who curse you be cursed. Then Balak's anger, verse 10, burned against Balaam. He struck his hands together and said to him, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you've blessed them three times. Now leave at once and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. Now that's not the end of the prophecies, and I'm not going to read them all to you, but a lot more happens after that, but all of it is good for Israel. 
In fact, he'll give four more prophecies, all of them blessings, one of which even hints at King David or possibly even the coming Messiah, none of which would have got him in trouble with God. So he has prophesied seven times, the three we've just talked about where he blessed them three times, and it's time to go home. And as far as the book of Numbers is concerned, that would seem like the end of the story except for what happens later. When they actually take the promised land, they go back and they fight Moabites and they kill Balaam, who stayed there and didn't go home. And we wouldn't have known the rest of the story if Jesus hadn't told us what happened. We would only have hints at it. But Jesus says that basically that after Balaam had obeyed God, he decided, I want to get my reward. So there's another way I can get God to harm Israel. He has a private conversation with Balak. He says, okay, here's what you do. These people, these Israelites, they're upset because they have to eat male and manna, and they don't get to eat whatever they want. And God's given them these really strict rules about what they can eat. So what you need to do is, you need to go down there on the border where they are, and you need to have a barbecue. I mean, you need to have some roast pig and bake them, just sizzle it over there, all the things they're not allowed to eat, and make sure the wind's blowing that way so they smell it. It's the food they sacrificed to their idols, and that's what they did. They had all kinds of foods the Israelites weren't allowed to eat, and they put them right on the border where the Israelites could smell them. And because they wanted to eat this other food, they thought that was a good idea. But that wasn't all that Balak does. Jesus tells us that Balaam enticed them to eat food sacrificed to idols and in the sexual immorality. The, the uh, Moabites and the Midianites worshipped Baal a fertility god who they believed that when they engaged in an activity around fertility and sexual activity, that that meant their crops would be blessed. And so as an act of worship, they had, they had prostitution as an act of worship, as crazy as that sounds. And so he says, here's what you do. You make it look like it's, I don't know, Sodom and Gomorrah right there on the border. Invite those men to come over and worship with you to eat a bratwurst and enjoy some time with the ladies. And that's what happens. The Israelites eat food they're not supposed to eat, and they engage in all kinds of immorality with the people of the land, everything God's been telling them not to do. Now, Balaam's the one who told him that. But God was furious with the Israelites. He puts to death 23,000 people. It's so bad that Moses and Aaron are at the tent of meeting and they're praying to God. God, this immorality has taken hold of our people. It's devastating us. And while they're, pray while they're on, literally on their knees praying, one of the sons of one of the rulers of the Israelites brings in a daughter of one of the rulers of the Midianites to his tent to engage in Baal worship and whatever else is going to go with that. And it infuriates God. It infuriates him. Wow. 23,000 died. 
Let's go back to Revelation and understand what that story has to do with what Jesus said. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so they ate food sacrificed to idols and they committed sexual immorality. Just like that, or likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Galatians. Repent, therefore. Don't, don't just keep doing it and saying, I'm sorry. Stop doing it and say, I'm sorry. Don't just keep doing it. Stop doing it. Repentance, true repentance involves a change, a turn, a going in a new direction. Jesus didn't say he would destroy them for what they had done. They had sinned, but even those who had fallen into the practices of the Nicolaitans could, they could be forgiven. But they had to repent. They needed to change. So he says, repent. Otherwise, I will soon come to you. And I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Just like the angel had stood preparing for judgment for Balaam. Three times God was patient with Balaam and forgave him. At the end of the numbers, at the end of the book of numbers, we find out Balaam perished in Moab. And that wasn't what had to happen. That didn't have to be his story. The donkey lived, but Balaam died. Jesus says to us Be holy as I am holy, strive for holiness. Don't let your faith be about trying to see how much you can get away with and still be saved. <laughs> let your faith be about trying to be as much like Jesus as you can be. Are you going to fail? Yeah. There is grace for our failures. There is grace for the times that we mess up. There is. But should we continue to sin so there could be more grace? No. Emphatically, no. Definitely not. God loves those who are truly repentant, and he will forgive a multitude of sins, but he opposes those and sees right through those who think they can manipulate them and get them on a technicality. <laughs> You're not going to trick God, but as we saw today, he might do something to you to get your attention. You're not going to fool him, and neither am I. He looks at our hearts, so let's follow him with all of our hearts. And let's not get into this business of seeing how much we can get away with and still find God's grace and mercy. Let's strive for holiness. Not because we're saved by work salvation, but let's be holy because that's what God wants us to be. So let's work on the things in our lives that we need to work on. I think that's why Jesus told us the story of Balaam. A cautionary tale. A cautionary tale. Where even the old donkey figured out he needed to listen and do what God wanted to do or he would be in trouble. Let's find that out for ourselves too. Let's listen to the Lord. To the one who is victorious, Jesus says this, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give a person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. 
He says to the one who listens, who hears, who is victorious, I will bless you. And that's why God ultimately wants for all of us to bless us, to reward us, to take, him, take us to be with him. Well, hearing that today, you are, as a person, you might make a decision that George made this week on Thursday night. George made the decision that it was time, George Bragg, for him to be baptized, and we baptized him in this very place. And if you've been walking on the wrong path, you've been living the wrong life, you've been doing the wrong things, and you're not a Christian, well, I'll just say this. It's hard to do things right without the Holy Spirit there to help you, to convict you, to guide you. So if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to make that decision. And if you are a Christian, I encourage you to take a pretty good look at your life and ask the Lord if there's some things that you might need to repent of, to let go of, to lay down, so that you can walk in holiness with God. Whatever decision you have to make, would you make it as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation?